0: All of the youtubers that you watch, all of the filmmakers that you watch, like they all sucked in the beginning. Everyone sucked. yeah we all were like once like young little grasshoppers and uh, you have to almost have that radical confidence in yourself of like one day this is like this is gonna be
1: a thing because if you don't treat it like a thing it'll never be a thing. Welcome back to another episode of the Rough Cut Club. I am your host, Joey Nicotra, here yet again, lone wolf in it without my amazing co-host, Shane Reitzammer. Shane is at home being an amazing dad to his newborn beautiful baby, which we are super excited for him and pumped for him, but... Uh, While I am here picking up his slack like he has nothing else better to do uh, other than be a new dad, uh, we are uh, super excited to bring on a heavy hitter guest today that goes by the name of B. Biggie. We are welcoming to the show for the very first time the creator coach, Mr. Brayden. Figueroa, I wish I could roll my R. Let's
0: go, Figueroa. Let's go. I can't roll my R's, I'm hyped dog. To, but
1: <laughs> welcome hyped to be here. Yeah, dog. Welcome to the show, man. I have been uh, a fan of yours online from afar, uh, from the great state of Texas, uh, for a while now, and seeing you crushing it on the online space, and so excited to have you on the show today and bless us Let's with go. your presence, man.
0: Let's go. I'm I'm a stoked to be here. I uh, I just finished a podcast uh uh last night. So I'm, I I I got some experience doing this. We've uh we've done 80 81 podcasts. 81, now. dog.
1: You you got me beat, man. What, what just out of curiosity, when did y'all start? Are y'all dropping weekly?
0: We are dropping weekly. So we took we took a month off after our first season ended just yeah. so we could bank some episodes, but We've been back strong for season 2. We haven't missed a week and we are going strong. It, it's difficult, I'm sure as you know, to oh my to get a pod, to get a podcast out every single week, but somehow we managed yeah. to make it happen. Yeah,
1: dude, it is for those on the other end of this like who have not tried it, it is a grind and like just like the prep that goes into like the, the preparation for the interviews to actually spending the time with the guests and the emails and the, the marketing, the cutting the content up, it is a full-time job. Um, and so I have respect for you, my friend, just for running the podcast and getting 81 uh, episodes out, man. Congrats.
0: Let's go. Yeah, I appreciate it. I'm very excited to, yeah. uh, to hop on this. Dude,
1: and, and just to kick it off, man, like uh, for those who are listening here, like tell me a little bit about the podcast that you have and that you've been running.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we created this podcast basically for the younger creative versions of ourselves. I felt like there wasn't uh, a, a podcast in the space that was helpful to Creatives necessary. I I just didn't think that that was that was really a thing. Uh, There was one podcast that I thought that was doing a solid job, Black with No Cream. They were like one of the only ones in the whole space, and I just felt like there was a gap there that needed to be filled. And so I did a podcast before the Five Hundred Five podcast with an old business partner, and we I think we did like fifty or sixty episodes, and then we ended up splitting up. And when I moved out to LA, I met Costas, and we were living together. And I'm like, dude, we should do. You know a podcast that really just helps like younger versions of us because i felt like the space is still very gatekeepy uh people aren't willing to help one another and there's room for everybody to eat there's enough brands to go around there's enough creative jobs to go around uh, and i think that you know if you're not getting the jobs that you want you're not looking hard enough because they're out there and people are willing and able to pay solid money to create content both remote and both in person so Uh, hopefully we can bring light to ways that we're making money ways that you know brands are getting in touch with us and just show uh, so you don't make the same mistakes that we did because there's a lot of mistakes to be made and I think that's realistically the best way to learn is to make mistakes, but hopefully we can expedite you a few years of time, um, and just give you the blueprint for what worked for us and get you off to a much hotter start than, than what we, than what we had to work
1: with. Dude. I love that so much, man. Well, shout out to the five Oh five, uh, it's called the 505 podcast, right?
0: The 505 podcast. Yeah. I'm wearing the hat. Yes, yeah, right sir. Yes, yeah, sir. Got to
1: represent, man. Well, shout out 505. Mm-hmm. Uh, make sure to go give them a follow and check out their podcast as well. Um, doing super dope things. And, and in, in a similar way, like teaching, you know, what we do here is teach the art and business of filmmaking. And, you know, in, in a lot of ways, doing the same exact thing. And so I think it's such a cool time for content creators to just trying to be pursuing the craft right now, because growing up, you know, even several years ago, like, like five, six, seven years ago, like the same educational opportunities to learn online from people who actually have careers didn't exist like it does today. And so non-existent. Yeah. It's definitely something to take advantage of and to learn. Um, so you can learn the game and and level up in the career. So dig it, brother. Um, well, bro, before the podcast started, uh, take me back to your early days getting into filmmaking. I want to hear about like your journey and how uh, you got into filmmaking, and then tell me a little bit about what you're doing today.
0: Absolutely. So I went to school at the University of Oregon. Uh, I'm from Southern California originally, and my mom kind of forced me to go off to school. I I had a job lined up to kind of take over the family business. So they race horses for a living. And when my grandpa had passed away, I was like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to graduate high school and I'll immediately hop into this career. And like, no one can tell me any different. And, you know, she literally forced me to go off to school. She was like, you have to go. You have to graduate. And that's like the end all be all like you're going to go off to school. So you better pick some somewhere that's fun. And I ended up picking Oregon, not really super ecstatic about picking Oregon because it was raining when i went there to visit and i was like oh my god i don't know if i can do this whole like rain thing um you know coming from living in southern california my whole life we're very spoiled but it ended up being the best four years of my life i had a ton of fun and after my freshman year of college towards the end i was just fascinated with youtube i was watching so much youtube every single day i I can credit YouTube for teaching me like a ton of life skills. I learned how to drive stick shift on YouTube. Uh, I learned um, a lot of stuff about the horse racing industry, funny enough, but just everything is on YouTube. You know, if you want to find something, you can find out and be an expert in a pretty short amount of time. Like yeah. I, I could learn, I could sit and watch 10 hours of YouTube and I'm like, I'm pretty well versed on this topic now to be able to talk about it. And so I, I started finding these fitness YouTubers because I in high school was very small. I think I graduated high school at like 130 pounds. I was wrestling the entire um, my whole time in high school. And so I wanted to, you know, get fit and get in shape. And so I started watching YouTube videos and I found all these super helpful workout videos. And so these guys who I never knew and never have spoken to were teaching me, you know, how to get fit and different things I should be eating and other things that I could use to lift and get bigger, faster. And so, in those two months leading up to school, I think I gained like forty five pounds. Uh, and so I was quite ripped going into freshman year of college from my like Let's very go. skinny scrawny you know scrawny self. And I, I just became infatuated with like the idea that, man, like these people the random people all over the world are like posting videos to this platform, and we can just watch them and like learn from them about anything, whether it be cars, fitness, you know, cameras they're yeah, Legos. There's a group for everybody. You know, there's a tribe for every single person, plants, whatever, doesn't matter. Like there's someone out there making videos about the specific topic. And I, I stumbled upon a guy named Christian Guzman, who was doing fitness stuff, as well as he was building a gym and very entrepreneurial. And I just resonated a lot with the messaging and what he was putting out. And I'm like, I don't, really know what I'm doing right now but I want to switch I want to figure out how I can do something that has the camera in it and at the same time I found Casey Neistat a friend had introduced me to him this is freshman year of college so 2015 and I'm like dude I'm trying to be a vet I'm over here failing my biology and my chemistry classes and this shit sucks I need to figure out a way to do what Casey Neistat is doing that was the goal uh, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I want to figure out how to make videos for a living and figure out how to get brands to pay me for it. And I got a Canon T5i that <laughs> spring term of college and it just opened up like the world. I was like, holy crap, people are you know, seeing these videos. I was making them all on YouTube. So like long form fitness type of vlogs and every single time I'm just getting better. Like I can see the videos getting better every time I step behind Final Cut Pro at the time. and. You know, no one's teaching me how to do this stuff. I'm just learning on the fly by watching videos of Casey's and figuring out how the heck is he cutting four different times when he walks into the convenience store? Like it didn't make sense. (laughs) I'm like this doesn't I'm like, doesn't make sense. How is this happening? How is he able to get all these different shots? And then I started to watch movies and I'm looking at them through a different lens now instead of just being a viewer, I'm trying to Analytically break down everything that's happening. Like where is the camera? Where are the lights at? Uh, What kind of audio is being used here? What kind of music and why does this make me feel a certain way and Did that on YouTube too, so I would download people's videos I would put them in premiere I'd slow them down to a quarter speed and then I would figure out exactly how they're making all of these cuts and like what drew me to These specific fitness people's videos and why Casey's videos were good Um, and it dramatically made me better faster like I, I was making something every single day for I was in class cutting videos I would go home cut videos then we go party and I come back from the party and cut more videos and None of them were good but it was just the fact that I was practicing and exponentially getting better because I was spending like hundreds of hours of Time behind Premiere Pro and out shooting and I got way better at editing uh, faster because I was doing that way more than I was shooting. And then I couldn't figure it out. I'm like, why are my videos? Like, what are they missing? And it's just, I sucked at shooting. I was pretty good at editing, but I had neglected actually learning all of the the settings. And so I was kind of reverse engineered how to be a video producer. So I was good at editing and I could tell you what was wrong with stuff, but I couldn't go like execute it in the field. And then as of these last, you know, two, three years, I've, dove deep into how to become a better shooter, how to become a better cinematographer and just how to get better shots overall. And currently right now I work for the Los Angeles Lakers. I produce a lot of the video content that you see on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok, um, and, and YouTube. And it's just taught me, I've had a camera in my hand damn near every day for the last like three years. So when you do that, you get better at fit finding frames and just angles and figuring out, okay, if I'm shooting the same thing, how do I make this more interesting to someone that's seen basketball played a thousand times? Um, and I I personally am horrible at basketball. And so I think I, I look at it at a different lens. I was very athletic growing up, played a bunch of different sports, but never played basketball. And so I think I do look at basketball a little bit differently because I never was actually like on the court playing. Um, and I, I I just want to make the best possible stuff. No matter if it's, you know, uh, a small ad for a mom and pop shop or for the Los Angeles Lakers. I'm taking the same intensity of shooting something at the highest level to shooting something small. And like it, when I was starting out, I still thought like a million people are gonna watch this. That's how I like thought about these little small videos, even though no one saw them, they didn't matter. I was pretending in my brain that millions of people were watching them. And now millions of people watch my videos every week, which is kind of kind of weird to to think about, like actually millions of people are watching them every week. So it's kind of crazy. And I, I do. I love getting to say that I love what I do. I enjoy what I do. I think that, you know, work is low key, 50, 60 percent of your life. You might as well fuck with it. You might as well enjoy what you're doing. Uh, I think life's a little too short to hate your job. And so I'm grateful that. In college, I said, like, you know what? This vet route—I was going to school to be a vet. I'm like, this is not for me. Guaranteed job out of school, guaranteed high-paying salary, and I was like, you know, I, and I had connections in the field. Guaranteed job, and that's hard to say when you come out of school, especially now. Um, and yeah, I was like, I'm gonna go off on my own. I'm not gonna have one connection in the space. I'm just gonna figure it out as I go. And I'm so happy that I—I I just never looked back and I just kept going.
1: Dude, I am so in love with your story and your journey that is super inspiring. I think that as I as I was listening to that, I, a couple of things I want to pick apart from it. But one, um, what's hilarious is that I actually the last episode that we did, the guy before started with a T5i. So my very first camera was a T5i. Uh, uh, we were both inspired by Casey Neistat to get our start in the industry, like growing up during his golden era of vlogging was like a game changer for filmmaking. And I've said it before, but we got to get Casey on the pods. Anybody knows Casey, shout out Casey. And we got to get him on the episode, but, um, (laughs) uh, let me send him a text. We'll we'll figure that out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> but, um, dude, I, I I love even like what you said, too, about reverse engineering how films are made, because um, when you when you take like I've illegally downloaded films, right, or, or like gone to YouTube and like uh, then you throw the film into Premiere and then like you slow it down and you really start to analyze like how a film was made. You really start to learn, um, you know, the pre-production producing, you know, the lighting, you get to really study the intricacies of it. And so I love that that was a part of your workflow and studying the craft to, to figure out, um, you know, how to do, how to hone your craft, you know what I mean? Um, and then even the piece too on, um, you know, now you're creating for millions of people and, um. I think there's like a musical quote, right? Where it's like you perform in your room so that you can perform as if you're performing to a million people. So, and then when you get on stage, you perform to a million people as if you're performing alone in your room. And I think Mm -hmm. the same thing goes for video where it's like, you have to create content as if a million people are going to be watching what you do. So that way you get to the point to where you can create content that millions of people are going to watch. So dude, I I love all of that. Yeah. And I think
0: in the beginning, you know, for all of the YouTubers that you watch, all of the filmmakers that you watch, like they all sucked in the beginning. Everyone sucked. Yeah. We all were like once like young little grasshoppers. And uh, you have to almost have that radical confidence in yourself of like one day this is like this is going to be a thing. Because if you don't treat it like a thing, it'll never be a thing. Right. Um, And even when I was making YouTube videos, I remember, you know, people are always going to poke fun at you like, oh, you're making those videos like 10 people are going to watch them. Like, yeah, but now like hundreds of thousands of people watch them every week, you know, and that's amazing to think about. But it's only because I never stopped. Not like, you know, those same videos in the beginning could have had, you know, like a, a larger amount of people watching them, but it, it didn't matter. It's only that I'm continuing to get better, track, you know, practicing telling stories and connecting with the people who do care about them. Even though there's 10 people, you know, that are watching them, I'm like talking with these 10 people and forming relationships with them. And now that like I don't have a huge uh, group of people that like watch my stuff, but the people that do watch my stuff, I know most of them. I've talked to a lot of them. I respond back to the comments. I'm seeing what people are saying. And I don't think enough people uh, take that into account as they rise or as they're growing their page, like those people, the reason you're able to do all the things that you're doing now is because a lot of those people supported you and cared about the stuff you were doing. And I think people forget about that a lot, but it's amazing to, uh, to see like, you know, what, what's hap what, what's possible if you just continue to press on.
1: I love it, man. It's, it's consistency over intensity. You know what I mean? You gotta mm-hmm. be consistent and show up every single day and, and push your own craft. And, um, dude, I love that, but I want to, I want to hear how the Los Angeles Lakers deal happened, because I think that's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty cool title to be the content creator, video producer for the Los Angeles Lakers. So tell me how that happened for you, man.
0: Yeah, I had, I was living out in Indonesia. I was living in Bali for two months, two, three months after school, after I, yeah, after I graduated, I just moved out there. I was like, I want to figure out a way to make money living abroad. I had read Tim Ferriss's 4-Hour Week, and I was just infatuated with this idea of living outside of the U.S. but making U.S. money. And I'm like, okay, well, let me go over here. It's the most beautiful place in the world. Let me see if I can figure out a way to make, you know, money from U.S.-based brands. And we had done a job right before we went out there and it was my biggest job to date. I think it was just shy of 10,000. I'm like, I feel like a millionaire right now. I'm going from no money in my account to potentially like $10,000. This is crazy. And we go out there with these, you know, these five videos to edit and we ran out of money pretty quick. I did. I personally ran out of money pretty fast and I'm like, holy shit. I need to figure out a way to like make consistent income didn't have any retainer clients lined up we had done like two jobs out while we were out in bali and for balinese based brands and i'm like okay i gotta go back home i'm living at my parents house and i'm emailing hundreds of brands every day on linkedin for full-time job offers and every time i get on the phone with them i'm like pitching them my company i'm like hey listen i know you have a full-time job not interested in that would you be interested in hiring my company Every single one said no, and I, I mean, I remember getting on the phone with this one company. It was like a real estate firm. The girl's like, "Yeah, could you just like break down what a you know funnel and marketing is?" And she's like, "Just like top of funnel content." I'm like, "You know, top of funnel is like the big stuff, right? Like the big." I'm just like bullshitting my way through all of these interviews. I don't know anything about what they're talking about in marketing land, and so I finally one day see this Lakers job open up, and I'm like, "Okay." I could be down to try to actually get a full time job. I had had the um, the mindset I told like everyone when you're graduating is like trying to hunt for jobs. People are super anxious, could not have had less of a care in the world like I just was not interested in working for somebody else. I never wanted to work for somebody else. I come from a very entrepreneurial family and I'm like, yeah, working for people not in my deck of cards. And I saw the job open up and I had called my cousin who's also also, uh, he owns an ad agency out from and based out of Salt Lake. And I'm like, do you think I should do this? Should I try to do this? And he's like, I don't think there could be, you know, a better opportunity than working for the third biggest brand in, in sports in the whole world. Like you're going to learn so much. You're going to be around talented people and you'll actually understand what it's like to run a business that generates billions of dollars from being inside of it. And I'm like, okay, you're right. Let me, you know, sack up a little bit of my ego and let me go learn. Because at the end of the day, I really didn't know much. I I was just like bootstrapping everything. And I applied via LinkedIn and I didn't hear back for a while. It was a long process. And there, I had bought LinkedIn premium just to see how many people had applied. And there was already tons of people that have applied and and like on the map it'll show like the us map it was just lit up the whole damn map was lit up with people that had applied to it so i'm like okay dang like i don't this is going to be tough but if i can get someone on the phone with me i'm good enough at selling myself that i think that i can like get this job and i thought i had an interesting enough story saying like yo, i said i'm opening up a company after school i'm not going to get a job and i'm going to move to bali and i'm going to try and figure this stuff out so interesting enough story to captivate you to be like Let's listen to what the crazy kid, you know, has to say. And I came in with the mindset when I got that first interview that I'm willing to do anything. I'm willing to do everything. If you need me to log footage, I'll log footage. I'm not above any job that is like that you're gonna throw at me. And I, they needed help. They only had two people that were video people when I got there. So they were low-key drowning. They're just what they there's there needs to be at least three people doing video. And so I got in and uh was, was just an immediate help. I tried to just do anything and everything that they asked of me and it. it, The job grew significantly in the beginning. I was just doing, you know, what, whatever they needed. And, And by the end of that year, I was working the games, all the games with them, shooting the games and just made, you know, made room for myself in that, in that space, because I exponentially got better then as well because you come from college and i i low-key was shooting every single day and editing every single day but you know you maybe on a sunday we're not shooting and like it turned into just shooting every day and filming every day and editing every day and you're around people that are better than you and people that know more than you and i was just a sponge asking every single person questions going home watching youtube videos i'm still making personal content for myself as well at the at the same time as doing the job which is what i still do now and it it's been the most fun experience i could have ever asked for i've been blessed to be with this amazing team won a championship uh, in 20 is that 2020 yeah 2020 season the bubble season um uh, you know have an nba championship ring which is crazy to think about And I'm blessed to work with like amazingly talented people every single day and get to tell the story of one of the most historic teams in the entire world. And I'm
1: just blessed to be able to say that. Bro, I am inspired by your story. And I think the word that comes to mind, like as you've been talking just for this short amount of time, is just hustle. Like you have the grit and the tenacity um, to do what it takes. And like, at the end of the day, we are all artists trying to make art for a living, um, you know, make a comfortable living, but there's a lot of competition in that arena. And, and I love that you showed up every single day, you broke down the content, like you did the work and didn't take shortcuts. And it's, I think just even as, um, a filmmaker myself, like just hearing the stories of people that did, you know, what it, whatever it took, to get to, you know, wherever they wanted to be is something that like, it's just, it's just cool to hear that from other creators to see people who have done it before. So, um, kudos to you, man. But the, I don't think I've ever shared this before, but the very first job that I ever applied for after I graduated film school was the creative video producer for the Dallas Mavericks. And Mm. it was very similar where it was like a highly sought after role. Um, but, uh, and I actually made it all the way, I think it to either like the top three or the top five candidates. Um, and they said that I was too young and inexperienced for the mm. job. And they were right. Uh, like I was, I was new out the gate. Like I, I was shooting my shot. I made it up pretty far, but I wasn't ready for the role at the time but the world of doing creative filmmaking in sports is something that I feel like, you know, even based on the map lighting up, when you looked at everyone there, like it's highly sought after. Um, And so what advice do you have for people who are trying to get into the world of creative sports to um, you know, to get a foot in the door and start actually shooting creative content and not just like broadcast cameras for, you know, the games like, How can someone get into the world of doing creative filmmaking for sports companies?
0: A lot of the time it comes down to what you have at your disposal for access. So, And people usually just aren't willing to try. I tell a lot of people this, even if you're out of school, it doesn't matter if you're 40 or 18. If you're 18, it's easier because you're going to be in high school probably and you'll have direct access to shoot your high school sports. If you're out of school, though... It's not difficult to get a media credential to shoot high school basketball or high school football or high school soccer or any of the sports that they tennis like tennis in a high school does not get coverage. So if you're willing to, you can, you know, potentially shoot one of the top tennis teams in your state, um, you know, or like the top water polo team like whatever, like a, a lot of the people are thinking like, oh, it's only basketball and football. There's so many other amazing sports that need coverage that don't get coverage. And they're going to jump when you say, hey, I'd love to come shoot a game. They're like, yes, you're absolutely able to come shoot a game because those sports don't get as much coverage as basketball and football, you know? And I, I think about, one, it's the access. So once you have access, okay, great, we can shoot the sport, we can film the sport, we can start to get better that way. Then it comes down to figuring out what brands you want to align with. So if your videos have, especially now, what I see is like, Effects galore the videos look pretty poor at the lower level and the high school level because they're just using 4,000 different effects and it's like I'm you know stop like just try to make (laughs) a really pretty video with great Storytelling and a good color grade and then start to sprinkle in the effects after you have you know a beautiful cut video Everything's in focus, you know, there's good story. You're getting different angles different shot variety then you can start to pepper in the other stuff. I think people flip it and they're like, oh, I'm trying to be hype and there's like, you know, spaceship flying through and shit and it just ends up ruining the video rather than like adding to it. Um, and it, it, it's a numbers game. If you make a thousand videos, you will get dramatically better. Most people are making, you know, one thing a week and you're just, you're just prolonging the process of you getting better at the thing. Uh, it's just like a sport. I was an athlete my whole life. I took the same approach to baseball and wrestling and all the other things that we did to filmmaking. So I was like, if I do this every day, I'm gonna get better at it exponentially better. I would like drill myself. I would get, um, you know, I'd see an effect and I would go practice the effect and i try to do it without watching the tutorial. And then the next day I would time myself and see how long it took me to do the effect. And I just took the same approach like, okay, let's do drills today. You gotta cut this video in, f- in 15 minutes. And it ended up helping because then My boss at the time when I was working for Oregon for the Ducks, he would give me crazy deadlines. He'd be like, Fig, you got 24 minutes to go out and get a bunch of videos of players dancing and then go cut it before the kick. I'm like, dude, what? I can't guarantee that they're going to be dancing. And he'd be like, figure it out. And I'm like, okay, you're right. Yeah, I'll figure it out. And so I get out there and be like, yo, dance for the camera. Like, please help me or I'm not going to get this video up, yeah. you know? <laughs> and I, uh, I would just like play those little mental games with myself and they made me so much better, even though like it, at the end of the, it's not like no one's dying. We're not at a hospital. It's just like a sports video, but that's how I would take that intensity to another level and just try to make myself better and try to push myself to get better. And I don't think enough people do that like I'm very competitive and so that that in my brain like is forcing me to try to like elevate myself to this different level of you know just trying to get better every single time you make a video and I think that if you watch a video and you post it in two weeks from then you don't have any critiques for yourself you're not getting better. You should always be posting something and be able to look at it in a month or in a few weeks and be like, oh, dude, the color on this shot or the sound here could have been better. This cut could have been better. That's how you kind of know that you're progressing and that you're like analyzing your stuff. You shouldn't just post it and let it go and be like, okay, done, Like, we'll move on to the next thing. Uh, And that's how I think I can continuously try to get a little bit better. Because once you've done it for 10 years, you're not gonna get exponentially better week by week or month by month. You just get like maybe this much better. But if you do that every month for the year, then we got like that much better and we can continue to stack those days. Um, But access, consistency and and then just continuing to do it over and over again. I think people look at as consistency is like, oh, I have to be consistent. It's part of the job description. If you want to get good at the thing, it's not a an if or a want. It's a non-negotiable. It has to be done. If you want to build your personal brand, you can't, Oh, I have to be consistent. No, no. If I want to build my personal brand, I must be consistent. Not that I should do this thing and nothing will happen. If you don't do it consistently,
1: you know? Dude, that is phenomenal. And I, I, I love the concept of treating filmmaking like a sport that you that you train for like you find the effect and you go out and you execute it and you you show up and you do the reps and 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 you break it apart and it's like if you look at what any successful athlete does and what they do it's like they train and not train. just when not just when they have a game not just when they get booked a gig it's like they're going out and they're making passion projects to hone their craft they're reading you know in their downtime they're paying money to take courses and classes and the people that really want to get ahead treat filmmaking like a sport and they train for it and they put the reps in dude. And I love that concept. Um, you, you said something earlier I want to go back to, and it's, it's, uh, like you never wanted to work for somebody else, um, Mm -hmm. before you got hired on with the Lakers. And I think that that is something that, um, I don't know if everybody else in the world struggles with it, but it's something that I would say that I like part of my identity is almost wrapped up in me being an entrepreneur and like this self-made filmmaker or something like that. You know what I mean? Um, so how do you juggle the idea of you being like an entrepreneur and having your own company and you know, your own production, whatever, and also getting a really sweet once in a lifetime opportunity to be employed as a filmmaker. How do you, how do you, how do you see that and work through that in your mind?
0: Yeah. I think that, for anyone out there who might be entrepreneurial or maybe you're just beginning in your career, um, I don't think you could do a better thing than get a job at a company that is successful. Cause then you can learn how it works from the inside out. You can learn how it makes revenue. You can learn you know, how the different departments communicate. What do they do badly? Every company does something bad, everyone. They, there's a portion of the company that doesn't correctly function And that like slows down a process for something else in the company. It could make tons and tons of money. Every person that I've talked to that has a job, something irks them that could be like fixed, you know, that's like a systemic issue that, oh, this is how we've done it or whatever. So you can learn from them. And either if you're high enough up, give recommendations for how you can change stuff, like at least with with us, every time we have a shoot we we try to make it better the next time like oh maybe we say this and that will get us like this better answer or we should set up this way because that way you know we can move to photo quicker and i think really good teams are doing that and their communi- their, their communication is good the worst thing you could do is finish something and it go like semi okay and then be like okay we'll just move on we got the same shit same time again next week and that's how brands continue to elevate themselves as they're trying to make things better uh, and I look at like a company like the Lakers, who's rooted in excellence and is rooted in just winning and greatness. And they're always trying to get better. That's what they do very well, whether it's from a player standpoint, whether it's from an organization standpoint or from a community standpoint, they're just trying to do it bigger and better. And I think that we can all take something from a brand like that uh, and learn from what they're doing, whether you want to go, you know, you want to open up your own ad agency. Well, the best thing you could probably do is go work at one of the biggest ad firms in the world. And learn what they're doing and take it and then eventually go in and open up, you know, your own thing. And um at the end of the day, we all have stuff to learn. As much as I think that like I know a lot about filmmaking, I still know nothing in the grand scheme of things. I've done it for 10 years, but every time I go on set or every time we have a shoot, or every time I film a game, I'll see something like dang. I could do that better next time. Or if I miss a shot, I've I I'm a pulling focus machine. I can still miss. Pisses me off beyond belief. <laughs> and I'm like, I I in my head, I'm like, I have this this next year, I'm I'm making a goal for myself to never miss like a play of the game. I'm like, Whoa. that's what I'm gonna try to do. And it's like psychopathic and not possible, but I'm going to try to do that and I'm for sure going to get better stuff and just to try to hold myself to this ridiculous standard of like, don't miss a shot. Like do not miss a shot, which is pretty impossible when you're flipping content mid game during, during the actual game. But I'm going to try to do that and we'll, we'll see, like I'm for sure going to get better. Shoot a F 22
1: Um, my dog, shoot a F 22. No, no, no.
0: (laughs) Got to make it as difficult as I can on myself. Um, so, yeah, just trying to get the best possible ball yeah. track and trying to get the best possible frames. Like, uh, I just want to see how how far and hard I can push yeah. myself. I know I went on a little bit of a tangent away from your question. but Nah, dude,
1: I, I love that you just brought up, like, from everything that you've said this whole episode, it's like, be a student of the game, be a student of the game, be a student of the mm-hmm. game. Like, can't drive at home long enough. Like, the hours that I put in editing from like 2 AM to like 6 AM, uh, like throughout all of my early years, when I first got a camera are the years that I built my career on. Like those are the, I should say the hours that I built my career on, like the, the rough times that you didn't want to show up, but like you got the edits done, like you put in the work. Those are the times that, that you prepare for to when opportunity comes, you're ready to to do what it takes to you know climb to that next point in your artistic career and so i just love the student of the game mentality man i didn't i didn't prep you on this beforehand like at all but um i'm curious so like as creatives a lot of times like the the work that we do is so closely uh, like tied to our happiness and fulfillment level like when you're when you said you get pissed like you missed like that that shot and it wasn't in focus like sometimes the happiness that we have in life is rooted in how well that we succeed in our craft and in our art and so i'm curious how you balance like finding happiness and fulfillment from your art but also not letting it destroy you at the same time like when you have those l's or you miss that shot or you don't land that client like what can you say to people on on just putting your happiness in the art that you make
0: Yeah. And I've had friends that I've seen like come and go in the space because they couldn't handle feedback or, you know, their ego was just like a little, a little too big. Yeah, it's a thing. It happens like all the time. I've had really talented people that I've worked with that are like, oh, they're doing something completely different because they just could not put that uh, put that aside. But I I think that at the end of the day, I'm just grateful to say that I get to use a camera for my job and you can never take that away from me, that I get to wake up and wear sneakers and wear wide pants and wear a t-shirt to go do my job. And it, I get to work with really cool people who do amazing things and who are like some of the best at what they do in the whole world. And no matter if I miss a shot or if I lose a client gig, like one, there will always be another client, um, no matter what, I, I've lost some insane deals in my day. I remember like even coming out of school, like I had this job that was like, I don't know, 25,000 a month that I had lost because I didn't price it at 15K a month. And I'm like, oh my God, like looking back (laughs) at that, I was like just devastated. I'm like, dude, if you would have just said 15, I would have made this (laughs) 15. Anyways, but, um, you know, every time I get to live and I get to learn a little bit uh, about these different jobs and like everything kind of has like a little bit of a lesson to it. I was for sure biting off way more than I could chew when I was first out of college and I sent off that bit. Um, but, you know, it, it at the end of the day, it's it's a blessing to be able to say that I am a creative person who makes enough money to feel comfortable doing this living. People would die for that. So there's millions of people across the world that would die to say, I get to wake up and use a camera and that's like my job because that's all I wanted in college. I have to really remind myself that because I, I can even get caught up in the comparison game of I'm comparing myself to people that are at the tip, tip, top of the one percent of our space that are making millions of dollars doing the stuff that are making blockbuster movies like those are the people that in my head I'm like trying to be one day, you know, and it's easy to not just sit and relax and be like, you get to shoot like the best team in basketball on a nightly basis. That's crazy to say there's only seven cameras that are video cameras in the whole world that can say that they have shot the footage that I've shot and been in the spaces that I've been able to film. Um, And so I, I just I'm grateful to say that, you know, I I get to wait, I'm like fired up to wake up every day and to get to use the camera. Um, and like, not to say that some days aren't harder than others. I'm not like, not everything is rainbows and fairy dust, but it's, I just have to remind myself that like, we're super lucky. Anyone who gets to use a camera, photo, video, or computer design, and you can do the thing that you thought that was impossible when you were younger. That's a crazy thing to be able to say. So just reminding yourself to pinch yourself and be grateful.
1: Yeah. It's so sick to look at a time in your life and realize that you're living a moment that you once prayed for and be like, you used to wish for this thing. And you used to, you know, just imagine seeing yourself living out this, you know, reality. And then to fast forward a couple of years later and see yourself living this reality. It, you know, it's a beautiful thing. I remember when I first started out just being like, man, I can't wait to shoot on my first red camera. And like, it was like just this thing in my head for whatever reason. And it's like, now there's one sitting like right behind me. I know. I know. The first time you get to touch a red, it's like, it's a big deal, bro. It's, and it's like, you realize like you're now in that moment that you once like longed for. And just like the sobering reminders of going back to like, man, I, I have come a long way and like, I'm still going. Uh, and at the end of the day, like finding the gratitude in the moment that you're in, uh, and I think that's a beautiful reminder. Um, so shout out to you for that. Um, dude, I would be remiss if I didn't bring up the new SFX uh, drop that you just had. Tell us uh, a little bit about it, man.
0: Thank you. Uh, absolutely. So I, I kept running into the same problem whenever I would cover a sports event that they're blasting music every single time you cover a basketball game, an NFL game, soccer, music's playing of some sort, or there's something happening that ruins the audio, whether it's peaking too hot or it's just too loud in the arena, fans are screaming beyond belief, and your mic just can't handle it. And I kept running into that, and people were messaging me all the time, asking me, how to fix this audio? How do I fix this? I'm like, damn, well, you're kind of shit out of luck. And you got to go find crappy, you know, things on YouTube to use. And so we spent about six to six to eight months, I believe, on the project capturing one Foley sound. So We captured a bunch of Foley sounds that were in controlled spaces, whether it be basketball, football, uh, baseball, and all kinds of different stuff. And you also have to capture a lot of that stuff outside because it sounds really weird without um, like atmospheric sound, whether it just be like birds or wind obviously helps if you don't have like a bunch of parakeets in in the corner (laughs) in the tree but you know you got to work with what what you have then we hired an engineer because you can only do so much by just trying to correct it yourself these people it's all they do they're specialists at making sounds sound really good so we hired this amazing engineer his name's dane he's based out of portland and so dane helped us with you know, make. I was like, I need hits, I need whooshes, and I need amazing risers, and I want them to be very unique to me. So I went out and found sounds that I enjoyed off of like different spots or different sounds I had purchased. So I was like, I want this, but deeper, or this, but higher pitched and more intense. And so I was able to make over 160 sounds uh, that I use all the time. I've like given them to all my friends and I, I giggle because I see them in like uh, videos for sports teams or videos, like my one roommate, he works for Fisher, the DJ, and I'll be watching like a Fisher edit and it's like whoosh, I'm like, that's my sound. Let's that's go. Like, that's so sick. sick. Um, yeah, and so it's amazing to see all the people that have been able to use them. And I I just think about when you, whenever you attempt to sell something to your audience or ever in general, If you lead with, does this help people and does it provide value, it'll sell every single time. And like, I have had no problem with anyone ever saying, oh, like you're just trying to sell us shit. It's like, dude, if it provides value to you, no one's ever going to be like, yo, you're trying to be salesy. Like you're trying to sell something. It's like, that's how we live. We live off of selling things. That's how this entire country, it's how this entire economy runs. It's off of people selling stuff to us. Um, and so I ended up making this awesome product and I loved the feedback on it. And now we're working on a version two that's not even with sports. Uh, and I have I think, especially with sounds particularly, it's something where you never have all the sounds. And so like I've, I've spent thousands of dollars on way worse sound effect packs. And I'm like, dude, if I could sell sound effects under a hundred bucks and have them be amazing, you full license, you can use them in whatever spot, That's a deal and a half, you know, so like they could use these in a Super Bowl spot if they want to. They don't have to pay me any any other royalty fee, not if you're a production house. But if you're a regular
1: person, you can go use these in whatever, you know, whatever you want. Dude, so sick, man. I love your heart behind the prod, the product that you're making and just making something that you want to use yourself. Like, you know, that like when you are. You know, making something that you would use that other people are going to get use out of that as well, and so be sure. Every time, yeah. So anyone listening to this, be sure to cop uh, for sure. But I wanted to ask before I before I get you out of here, man. You know like, what? Uh,
0: I'll even give a I'll even link you a 10, 10 bucks off just for the people that have tuned in. Ten I'll bucks off. Ten bucks it, off. I'll
1: link it down below. Promo code rough cut. Promo code rough cut. Love it. It's in there, <laughs> um, bro. So for. I've, I've had this idea floating around in my mind for a while, uh, like selling products online as a filmmaker is a really hot topic, but it almost feels saturated right now. And Mm. like, what would you say to sell? Like, is it too late to drop? You know products online do you have to have a do you have to have a following do you have to just be crazy at running ads do you just make something that you believe in like what are your thoughts on the online product drops for filmmakers right now i think it'll never be dead there's always room in any market to make room
0: whether it be candy whether it be filmmaking space, whether it be energy drinks, whether it be hydration drinks, if your idea is good enough, and the marketing and the branding is good enough, and you can talk to a specific demographic of people, there always will be room to to sell your thing and to have success with it. As far as in this filmmaking space directly, you don't have to have a big audience to sell stuff, sell anything to. I remember in college, I made like, like fifteen hundred bucks, which at the time was a million dollars, selling LUTs, and I was like, "Oh my god, people will buy these!" And I had maybe you know no no people like following my stuff, and I just made something that I would use that I was already using, and then people kept hitting me up. Oh, can I? What LUTs do you use? And I'm like, "These, they're twenty bucks. Would you like to buy them?" And people purchased them, um, and so you always before you ever sell a product whether it's physical whether it's digital you need to ask people if it's something that would provide them with value you never want to go make something and then just sell it and say like oh hey i made this thing no even if, whether it's a course whether it's a hat like you want to talk about it see if people if there's any demand for said thing and if people are like yes like my i don't have any good sound effects for my videos and like i always have the same problem you're saying great there's a thousand other people just like that 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 are that are needing the thing Um, advertising comes second. So what you can do is you can sell the thing to whether you have 500 people or 500,000 people, and then you can generate a little bit of capital, whether it's a hundred dollars or whether it's a hundred thousand dollars. And then you can begin to test ad creative, Uh, something that I'm realizing with ad creative is it's just like you know it's starting from square one again. You're testing you're practicing you're learning every time that you make an ad uh, It's never the ad or I mean, it's never the the algorithm or the app. It's always your ad that sucks mm. It's never the algorithm or the app or the app um, Like, you know, you want your click-through rate to be good and if you're not having a good click-through rate there's something wrong with your hook people are scrolling by and I have to be, you know, very honest with myself of like, this isn't a good ad, you have to remake it. So we've made, you know, 10, like 20, 30, 40, 50 ads (laughs) that are different types of creative, whether it be graphics, stills, videos. Um, And so just test and learn, test and learn every, you're not going to make a million dollars off of like the first thing that you sell. And I think a lot of people think that way. They're like, this is going to be the thing that gets me to leave my job it's probably just gonna be the thing to where you learn from it and then you're able to make something better next time. Uh, And so like whether it's a course or sound effects, like the first time we made the sound effect pack, it took us eight months, it's gonna take me three weeks the next time I do it because now I know how to do it, I know exactly how to make it, I know exactly the problems that we face and I know how to get it to the sound engineer faster, better and give him exactly what he needs so he can make them even better. Uh, So you should always be reiterating things that you build and then you can continue to sell them to people that are in your audience that will provide value you know from that um and people will tell you people will tell you if something sucks and it's your job as a brand or as you know the person making said thing to do right by the people that you're selling to if if you fucked up and you made something poor you should refund them um, you know you have to listen to the people that are buying your thing and they'll give you testimonials too. I, I've had so many people that have just DM me. Sound effects are amazing. I'm using them in all my videos. Perfect testimonial. Okay, there's 150 people that are doing this. Great. That's gonna make someone else buy now because they see that. Oh, that actually worked for Tim, Billy, and Janice, and you know Jill, whatever. And so, yeah, it, there's always room for you to to make a seat at the table
1: i love the concept too of you know the the thing that you're doing right now or dropping isn't to make a million dollars but it is to give you the skills needed to go do it in less time with less effort uh on the on the next product or 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 whatever it is that you're going and doing i i recently um did a huge renovation in my house like everyone told Mm -hmm. me i was crazy for how big this renovation was going to be and it took me a year and a half to do it and i i turn around after that and then rebuilt from scratch a home in eight months uh after that because of the skills that i learned in struggling through that first uh that first rehab and so there's the, just the the idea that you take the knowledge and wisdom from what you're doing and that that knowledge of how to build a better ad is gonna be way more valuable than just having made the perfect ad from the get-go. Like now you're gonna actually have, you know, something to A-B test with and you're gonna actually have experience and you're gonna know, you know, why the account took so long to set up and you know, the ads didn't drop like I wanted them to. And then, oh, the demographic targeting and all this stuff that like you learn along the way that makes you a better person. And uh, I think that even whether you're just making a film for the first time and it's like, just getting through what you're doing, it builds the confidence in you to go and do it again, and to do it with more uh, experience under your belt. So I love that, brother. Cheers to you, man. Amazing. Well, bro, we got five questions that we like to ask every single one of our guests each time. So before we get you out of here, I gotta ask you, what is one thing that you would do differently if you could go back and do it all again in your filmmaking career?
0: I would find people who I looked up to that I thought could you know, help me in the space, and I would ask them if I could pay them to mentor me. Um, And that would dramatically expedite time. And I think you'd be surprised as to who would respond to you. Um, Yeah. And a lot of people are willing to help you, you know. So if someone says at the end of every video, DM me on IG with any questions, DM them, you know, and see
1: if they're actually about it. I love that dude. Yeah, the mentor thing is definitely like the cheat codes for how to grow, whether it's in your craft or your business, like way exponentially faster than you would if you're just even on YouTube University. So definitely Um, what excites you the most about the current film industry or market right now? I think it's changing a lot. I think we're seeing a lot
0: of change on the vertical side of things, which I think freaks out a lot of traditional filmmakers, but you either grow or die. So Mm -hmm. you got to understand that this is where everything is moving towards, and if you resent it, then a kid that's nineteen is going to take your fucking job. So you got to be looking at what is occurring in front of you and seeing where the times are changing and how you can adapt. If you've been in an industry for twenty years and you're way better at it than the kid that's eighteen, but he's willing to use an iPhone, might beat you at some jobs. So something to think about. So sick,
1: dude. So sick, dude. I love it. Uh, Absolutely ruthless, but. 100% accurate. Uh, What is one piece of advice you can give to filmmakers trying to grow in their craft or their business?
0: Yeah, one piece of advice for filmmakers looking to grow in their craft or their business. For business, I would say anytime that you have the opportunity to work with someone that isn't a friend of yours is, is worth it, in my opinion, when you're starting out. So whether if you set your price and you're You know, you're like a thousand bucks and someone comes to you for 500 bucks, I would still do the job because you learn so much. You get more experience behind the camera and then you pad your bank account to be able to invest back into yourself Um, and in filmmaking, uh, shoot the passion projects and set deadlines for yourself not just oh yeah i'm gonna shoot that one short film like no the short film needs to be done on june 25th and it needs to be turned around for v1 on july 15th or whatever um that's going to actually keep you accountable in setting those fake deadlines whether it's social content whether it's a short film whether it's an ad with a friend like that has to be a priority not like oh we'll get to that no this is like a real job that's paying us money you know that's how you have to treat it otherwise
1: it won't get done It's beautiful, man. I rock with it. Where are we as an industry headed in filmmaking and what should we be focusing on right now?
0: Mm. As
1: much as I love wide video and I hate vertical video, you
0: have to just look at where it's going. And instead of it being like the A unit is the big commercial spot and the B unit social, it's gonna flip. It's gonna be like directly all social, and I think. And I'm seeing it with brands. I'm like seeing it firsthand. Um, and so you can either neglect it and lose work or you can adapt and figure out how you can add people to your team that are going to be able to help execute on things like that and add it as a service um, because it's happening more and more where you know you're seeing a iPhone video or you know just go viral for a brand and it brings them in seven figures of revenue. And so I think that, uh, I think we need to really be watching what's happening on TikTok, what's happening on Reels, what's happening, um, and where it's it's all about attention. It's all about where people are watching the stuff. Um, so it doesn't matter what I think if I think it should all be wide. If ninety five percent of our nation or our world is watching it on the phone, it has to be vertical. So just try try to try to be an early adopter of things that are unfolding in front of us rather than, Oh, I hate it. Cause like, it's easy to do that because it's new to us and it's different. And it's like those kids didn't have to work as hard as us. Like they just get to use the iPhone for sure. hundred percent, but it doesn't mean they won't take our jobs. Uh, and it doesn't mean there's not a room for a room for them at the table with a huge company. Right? Like I, I just saw a Hugo boss campaign that was all done on a fucking GoPro. That's crazy. Oh my gosh. It's just ridiculous, you know. And so, like, you have to take note of that stuff, though, because you either are going to be, you know, forgotten about. Obviously, movies are always going to be a thing. I'm not like declining the movie industry. Like, the wide movies will always be a thing. Uh, more so in the advertising space, I'm seeing a lot of change yeah. with with that stuff.
1: Yeah, one of the um, one of the things that I'm already starting to see, uh, which you probably are aware of, but like traditional music videos are going away and everything is moving to where like oh if you have this twenty thousand dollar budget for a music video like how many reels could we create for twenty thousand dollars that get a way bigger reach at the end of the day than one video dropped on youtube and and so it's already going away um and, and we're already heading towards it so uh last question for you brother who is one filmmaker that you admire and why
0: One filmmaker that I admire who is a good friend of mine, Sam Newton. I think that he is absolutely killing the long form game on YouTube. He's going against the grain and like not going crazy with the TikTok stuff. And he's just like locked into his long form videos. And I watch all of them uh, start to finish. I think he's an insane storyteller. And it's something that just continues to prove that like while short form is in, there's always going to be room for people that are good at telling stories to be a thing. And I think long form is still king, whether it be podcast, YouTube, et cetera. I think the audience on a long form video on a long form podcast matters so much more than someone that has, you know, uh, a great TikTok following but nothing else besides those very short form videos. So uh, he he's someone that I look up to a lot. I think he's doing a lot of amazing things. So you should check out his work, Sam Newton Dude, on YouTube.
1: I- I'm pretty sure I've actually found him on Instagram a while back. I'm pretty sure I already follow him, but I definitely am not like connected, connected with him. But mm-hmm. yeah, I will definitely uh, recircle back up and uh, and check him out, man. Um, yeah. dude, thank you so much for your time on the pod today, brother. You have been a Uh, A joy to talk to, a breath of fresh air for sure. And uh, grateful for all of the wisdom that you shared with our audience today, man. Uh, For those that want to get connected with you, what is the best way to get in touch?
0: Be figgy on everything. Instagram is where I'm the most active. So hit me, DM me on IG if you ever have any questions about anything. And yeah, we'll definitely get back to you.
1: Brayden, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Man, once again, it has been a pleasure, man. Thank you for your time. Uh, For everyone still listening, we appreciate you. Be sure to leave us a review, share this episode with a friend, and we will see you next time on the Rough Cut Club. Peace.